best t-shirt mm. i have to say though the old receipt bank gray t-shirts super soft like organic cotton you've approached a new level of, of swag when you are you can compare all the t-shirts to the quality of feel does it feel nice <laughs> Have you not put a little red light above the door? Like bloody Piccadilly Circus. It's a win for us, that is. First guest ever who's listened to the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you haven't rated us, but we've been in New Orleans straight away. As long as the free dinner, John's up for it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Digitals in a Cruel World. I'm very excited about this episode. We've got a guest on this uh, this week that um you know what we do with him john and i are quite passionate about especially about new tech but before i bring him in i want to see how you're doing john what have you been up to the last couple of weeks mate good thanks i have had well i don't know busy busy couple of weeks it, my diary seems to have been full of calls with app partners and going to events with apps so yeah i've been been to silverfin lo- uh, lunch a couple of weeks ago which was which was really good really interesting had a quick catch up with the Dex guys yesterday and uh, had lots of calls with potential new apps and, and the guys from It Settled and Swoop have been all over us since we mentioned them on the pod a couple of weeks ago. So that's also been, been quite good. Yeah, busy, busy with calls, busy catching up with, with clients and, and trying to get under the, the out from underneath the rock that I've been hiding under for the last few months. It's always good to know that this podcast creates even more work for you, John. Um, and we have uh, Indy. How have you been as well, Indy? Good. We've, this is the second time we've seen each other this week, Ryan, because we had a lunch together as well, the Carbon HQ lunch at Sushi Summer, which was lovely. And I don't know if you find this, but in the run up to Christmas, and Johan can probably speak to some of this, is, is apps are so busy. The peak for me is right now, and that will continue until probably the 2nd and 3rd of December after Accounting Web Live. Cool. So you're busy as well. And uh, as you two are aware, I've, I'm pretty rammed um, from a work perspective. So it is, yeah, it's quite crazy for us all at the moment. But as you alluded to, we do have a guest this week. And that guest is Johan Trugaboff. I think I pronounced your surname correctly, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Johan runs the Early Adopters Hub that John and I are part of, which is all about educating new account tech businesses. But I'm terrible at explaining this compared to you, Johan. So how are you mate and give us a, a quick yeah very brief overview of early adopters yeah i'm all good i'm all good uh, yeah the early doubt sub i guess if you just want the uh, gist of it it's basically connecting digital accountants that are quite innovative and forward thinking and very tech savvy with early stage startups some startups that are looking to expand internationally designing kind of bespoke programs for them and workshops to get like the market research, product research, and actually listen to accountants in the way that they design uh, their products and go to market. Cool. Thanks, mate. Yeah, it's going to be really good to uh, hear a lot more about that in a minute. So yeah, really exciting show, jam-packed, not going to take up any more time. So let's crack on. Sounds good. So let's kick off the app news for the episode. I'm going to start off with this. So there's been a lot going on in Zero for, I guess, the last fortnight. And one of the announcements that I guess we knew was coming is that Gary Turner is stepping down, but they have now announced who will be replacing him as the UK and European Managing Director. And that will be Alex von Schermeister from the 1st of January 2022. Now, Alex, prior to coming into this role, headed up um, the European side of SumUp, 
man has also worked on eBay. So he's got lots of experience in the space and be really interesting to see how he, what his take will be coming into the zero role. But I believe there's other things going on as well. Yeah, I've got something on the zero finances because they just released their accounts uh, last week, I think it was. So they were showing for the half year to September a, a six million New Zealand dollar loss, which it compares to a, a 34 mil profit um, in the prior year. And an EBITDA had dropped also from about 121 mil to, to 98 mil in New Zealand dollars. So a little bit of a fall away, but the good news is that the revenue is up 23% year on year. Obviously acquisitions of, of Plan Day and Tickstar have helped to improve that. But then the underlying, you know, the important bit for us, I suppose, is their subscriber numbers have increased by 560,000 to 3 mil. And the UK market was still showing the biggest growth. It was up 24% with subscribers from up by 65K to 785K. So not quite at the 1 mil mark, but it's it's making really good progress and, and really interesting to see. And it's interesting also to see that overall, in terms of number of subscribers, the revenues increasing ahead of the subscriber growth. So they're, they're obviously increasing the, the amount of revenue they're getting per subscriber. But I also did notice in the numbers that they're increasing the amount of revenue that they're getting from some of the financial services that they offer, particularly focused in the Aussie market. But I know it causes a little bit of controversy for, for some of the partners that we like to play with because they can't tap into the zero API as a consequence of how they've structured the business for financing. Yeah, and we've, we've definitely come across those those apps that have had their, I guess, restricted with what they can do with Zero. And maybe that restricts the competitive side of the, the Zero app store. Completely different topic that we could, we could delve into for a long time. But something I did see tied into that is that the Gary released that growth that, that Zero experienced in the UK over his tenure there. And it is insane. It'd be interesting to see how Alex deals with that because they've reached that side where growth is tailing off. How they can, how do they keep that momentum going? As well as Alex coming in and the, the financial report for Zero, and um, Zero have also announced a Shopify integration. Now, this is one that they have built internally, has been built by Zero, probably as a reaction to what QuickBooks Online have done. And we're working with MailChimp, focusing on that e-commerce area. But as well as that, as well as building integration, Zero have promised to support this for 24-7. So it should be a very robust and reliable integration. Be interesting to see um, over time if that does prove to be the case. Tied into that, I guess from an e-commerce side, Zero went and bought Locate Inventory, a US-based inventory management system for around $19 million. Now, Locate, very similar, I guess, to the Unleashed model over here, in-depth uh, inventory management as well as e-commerce, API connections, integrations that are pre-built, and Zero have built uh, have bought the tech functionality. So not necessarily the company. I think the plan is actually to shelve the company by October 2022, which means all the clients that are already using Locate will need to move on to something else if they if they're not going to be working with Zero. A similar model to what QuickBooks Online did with Trade Gecko a while back. They bought the tech, they're bringing it in-house, and therefore all those on the existing software using it for a different um, app integration. So for Trade Gecko would have been integrated to Zero needed to find a different partner. And they're already working on the inventory side. They've said over the next two to three months, and you'll see a lot of changes in the stock management side inside the Zero product to get ready for that integration with Locate. And there's certain things that they're focusing on. So managing of stock monitoring, smart decisions on pricing. And so I guess what is what products are doing well, what products are doing badly, what are the focus you need to maybe up pricing on the existing product, your product base. 
and then focusing on the expanding into the sales channels. So a lot going on in the zero world at the moment. I think that's it. I think that's pretty much all I picked up on zero. I had a question on that. So the main partner of Locate is? I believe that is QuickBooks Online. It's definitely it's a US-based inventory product. Intuit is going to be the main integrator. And I believe they even market that such that they are a leading inventory product on the, the QuickBooks Online marketplace over in the US. So quite a strategic purchase here by Zero, eliminating a big inventory product that Intuit has been partnered with. It sounds like a version of app chess to me. <laughs> Very much so. Who's going to buy what to eliminate the other one, especially with what Intuit did or Cooper's Online did with Datadeer. There was a very deep integration into Zero, and I bet that's going to be stripped away so they're not going to have that same integration in Zero over time. It causes problems for us accountants working with these and partnering with them. It means that we, we can't fully rely that that integration is always going to be there. And I know we've covered this in prior podcasts. This is a fascinating acquisition in terms of the wider e-com play that we're seeing from, from both QuickBooks Intuit and now from Zero. The fact that this was announced at the same time as the, the Shopify integration, and we know that Zero's own stock inventory management you know, internally is, is not the best. And for most of our clients, Ryan, where they have a stock management issue, they we're having to refer them onto a third-party app. So this is fascinating that they've brought it in-house. And I also learned a new word as a consequence of this. So Matt Paff was commenting on this, saying this is a pure aqua hire, which I'd never heard of before, because they're, they're bringing the, the locate team into zero. And I think it's interesting as well from another point is that we've seen zero make acquisitions in the past. Things like HubDoc, for example, take a long, long time to come into their product space. You know, it's not just a matter of coloring everything blue and hoping for the best. So I wonder if they've changed their approach because they want to build this product from the inside out rather than trying to, to bolt it onto what's already there. Definitely. Uh, we've, we've seen different ways of zero's purchasing model and both the HubDoc integration and Instafile that's now zero tax have taken a long time to embed. So I wonder if they've learned from that and this will be a, a faster integration or we're going to have to wait one to two years before we really see any, any massive change. I mean, I, I hope it's going to be a fast integration, but we, we know from what Zero have done in the past is when they've done it fast, it tends to be a bit sloppy. So um, let's hope it's not that bad. Interesting news on the QuickBooks side. So they have just announced that they've got a, a MailChimp app for QBO. So I'm not sure if that's connected to the acquisition that's obviously been rumbling around now or, or whether this was in progress before. But they've got effectively a one-way sync with contacts and revenue from QBO to MailChimp to, to use for mail campaigns. So again, you know, just, just leveraging the, the data that you've got in QuickBooks and, and making it a little bit easier to get out to your customers and, and market direct them. And then on, on the QuickBooks online advanced product, They've also just announced a new app for Windows and adding on some bells and whistles around employee expenses. So just some incremental development there from them. Yeah, there's been some changes in the app landscape as well. A couple of new hires, A2X, have taken on a new CEO, Jamie McDonald and Jamie Shulman, who are the HubDoc founders. And they're saying they're ready to make A2X as big as Shopify. And they've also hired Dave Resnick, ex-Google, potentially prepping for a, a bigger takeover. Speculation, Ryan or John, yeah. favorite yeah. person to speculate? Well, yeah, John loves the speculation. But I guess when you're bringing in new strategic people, you're doing it for a couple of reasons. Obviously, something that you had previously was not working effectively, and so you need to make a change. 
or you are getting the business in a yeah in the right position to be sold or acquired which i guess you know would allude to our the last podcast that we had when james ashford was talking about these topics so it'd be interesting to see what happens in the in the near future especially with all this work from the likes of zero and quickbooks in the e-commerce space and that's a to actually focus on how they're bringing that, that information in yeah well if if you want a bit of speculation, I mean, I think if they've got some hub doc execs in there who've obviously been working under the zero umbrella, I think you know, there's a natural natural link there. That's not to say that it'll definitely happen, but again, QuickBooks or Intuit bought one SAS a, a, a good while ago now. And the aggregation of data from e-com platforms is always a big pain point for any accounting system. So A2X is probably one of the lead players in that in that space. We know that Dext bought Greenback as well a few few months ago. So it's definitely a space where there's a bit of acquisition activity happening. And yeah, so putting two and two together here and we'll, we'll see what we come up with in, in, in a few months time. And speaking of acquisitions, I shouldn't say that actually, that's not true. Accountancy manager have bought in two former free agent execs, top execs, um, and James Byrne will be moving on to being the chairman, while Kevin McCallum joins accountancy manager as a full-time CEO, joined by Catherine Tenner, who is joining as CFO. As we mentioned, we went to the Carbon HQ roundtable this week to talk about the good and great of practice management and accountancy management came up a couple of times, Ryan. There's a lot of speculation on what's happening in accountancy management at the moment. And I wonder if this, similar to what we talked about from an A2X perspective, is just getting prepping the business from an acquisition point of view. We expect some changes to occur. There were some people that at that Carbon HQ meet that um, you know work with accountancy manager and um, we're talking about pros and cons of that, that software. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see the developments over the, the coming weeks and months. Cool. And then onto my favourite topic, which is open banking. We've seen that MasterCard have just bought an app called AIA. I'm not quite sure how you say that. It's A-I-I-A. So they're a, a European-based open banking platform building some really good quality APIs to, to enable uh, connection into, into banks and payment services, predominantly sort of based in, in the UK and Poland. But really interesting because obviously we saw that Visa acquired Tink, which is another open banking platform and aggregator a good few months ago so clearly this is another space where there's uh, there's a bit of acquisitive moves happening and the big players merchant services businesses uh, are clearly taking a bit of notice now and, and, and realize this is the way to move forward also on the open banking side we've had untied which is an app that focuses on uk personal tax making that process a lot easier and the way that it does that is it connects to your bank account it will then pick up any of your income and any any expenditure that's going on and you can tag that whether it's that uh, would be related related to your personal tax return they've just added a new feature to their to their app which is to do with invoice uh, raising invoices and then collecting payments so i think this is an interesting move because clearly we've got making tax digital for personal tax coming down the track obviously it's been delayed and we mentioned that on a previous pod but it's still coming and so interesting play by untied and i know that there's a few other apps that are sort of focusing in on personal tax for, for landlords and for those who would be caught by the the new mtd for for income tax rules so it's gonna be a frenzy of activity over the next next few months and then one other little bit on on open banking so we we mentioned i think on a previous pod that we were expecting variable payments between 
bank accounts to, to be enabled through the open banking platforms. This is effectively a, a feature that's really only available to, to corporate businesses where you can set up a, an automated transfer between bank accounts such that you can move a pool of money around and really handy for, for businesses that are borrowing because it means that you can offset spare cash on a daily basis to reduce your interest costs and obviously the ongoing costs of borrowing. That was supposed to launch in January, but it was just announced that, that none of the, the banks are particularly ready for that, and which isn't unsurprising because there was huge pushback from, from them because this is going to lose the revenue in the longer term. But basically, the, the open banking implementation guys have said that it must be ready by July next year and that all of the banks affected have got to set out their plans in detail from January and then provide monthly updates. So I think this is something that would be really exciting to see when it comes through. Uh, there's massive opportunity for both consumers and for businesses, as I said, to, to make use of this technology when it's enabled, but clearly a bit of a delay, which is frustrating. Yeah, I don't think this is unprecedented, considering the, the main um, open banking launch got delayed in the first place. But we're seeing as as we keep having news every podcast on this, the open bank infrastructure has enabled so much more opportunity and development in this in the app market space with automation and reducing costs. Irrespective of delay, it's still marching forward and the UK is you know a pioneer in this area. Good news even even with the delay. I guess the final bit from from me at least um, is I've got um, a bit of an interesting okay, off the off the Norbeat track that we we talk about is that mode the Bitcoin operator and PayEscape one of the the fastest growing cloud based payroll systems in the UK have agreed to work together to enable the first Bitcoin payment system through payroll. Now this will work via a deduction that could be set up from employees that will automatically take part of their salary and put it into a Bitcoin wallet out of their choosing. So they can basically opt to join in and they will be able to have their part of their salary put straight into a Bitcoin wallet. Interesting. We see interesting to see how that works. I've got no more details on that at present, but yeah, I thought it was a good little news snippet. But if it's not you sitting on your squeaky chair and Indy jumping around all over the place, it's not a proper show, is it? That was one episode. Ryan's chair is every episode. By the way, guys, I, I thought of a revenue stream and a business model for you earlier today. They can basically, you can't even become the Elon Musk, but if you say anything like crypto's crash or Tesla crashes, and then basically, you know, instead of sponsors, if it's more like ransom, like if you don't want us to say anything about you, then you have to sponsor us. You sing for swim in the current space, depending on what Ryan and Jacques say. Okay, so my turn this week to uh, to ask the questions. So I'll be I'll be as kind as possible, Johan, but you know, feel free to to be as as spiky as you like. We we like we like a bit of controversy on the pod. Ryan's already asked you sort of just a little bit of background on on what uh, the early adopters hub is, but you know, tell us a little bit more about what your story pre early adopters is and and how you ended up uh, where you are now. Yeah, do you how, how far back do you want to go for? When I was driving tanks when I was 18 or when uh, I conception driving? all the way through, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, if I, and I heard James's background, he does, he has done quite a lot, but I think I can actually rival him with a lot of uh, random stuff that I've done. Briefly, my, my background, I'm, I'm originally from Israel, lived in the UK for five years in London, worked in a few different startups, and the last one was, was Capitalized. And I got to like really get to know the industry and get to know a lot of the top accountants and 
get to know who are the real innovators of the industry and who are the accountants that you can really bang your head against the wall for quite a while and it's not really going to get anywhere. But yeah, that, that's kind of like what led me uh, more or less to the early adopters hub, but I can, I can give a bit more uh, exactly how the concept started as well. Um, okay, super, that's excellent. And uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit more about early adopters and, and why you, you know, felt that there was a you know, space in the market for, for something like that. When I first came to Australia two years ago now, I was doing a bit of consulting with like, a, I was doing a bit of consulting with a startup here based in Adelaide that was just looking to expand to the UK called FYI Docs. So it helped me for about six months until COVID hit basically. So it helped me get a bit of an understanding of the challenges when you want to expand internationally as a startup, which kind of like went quite well with my experience that I had from capitalizing in the UK. I also kind of like joined a bit as a part-time co-founder another Israeli guy that I met in Sydney that was just launching a new startup and I joined him as a part-time co-founder which became full-time because of COVID to kind of like help him do the market research get our first early adopters and kind of like help shape the marketing the customer acquisition and all of that so I, I kind of learned very quickly that your early adopters the first really potential users you're talking to they're like super crucial and they're super important like you know I like to say they're really worth the weight in gold but how you find them is, is very, very difficult, especially if you don't know the industry and outside. It's very hard to tell, you know, especially in the accounting space. Are you talking to the innovators that you want to help shape your product? Are you talking to some laggards that have nothing better to do with their day than talk to, to you, a random app that's got a cool idea? I started the early adapters hub kind of like to solve more of the problems for the startups so of launching a new product. I thought that that can be a pain point that, you know, I really felt and I thought that can offer a lot of value. And it made sense to go back to the accounting uh, vertical where, you know, I had the, the UK network and I knew a lot of the accountants. I didn't think I'm solving a problem for accountants to begin with. I thought I'll, I'll get accountants involved, creating a new cool gang of, of accountants. It's a bit more exclusive and, and, and half secret under the radar. But I didn't think I'm really solving a big problem for accountants, but I kind of like realized when I was doing the research initially, a lot of accountants of, you know, the innovators and early adapters, they're a little bit tired of a lot of apps coming to the market, you know, really over-promising, selling the dream, you know, saying the product is here when in fact it's the marketing that's there and the product is, is, is way behind. I kind of realized there's more and more frustration than what I thought on the accounting side from the people that, already work with startups, already provide feedback, already tend to do it for free. So yeah, so that was kind of like something that was quite interesting. And that's what got me to kind of like get started with the early adopters hub, which now I have 28 accountants in the UK for a bit of a range of different firms. You know, there's you guys like the cloud innovation tech people for mid-tier firms. There's like people on the smaller end, all types of different firms, different client bases, different way to operate i'm just got a new co-founder jack that's joined me last week and he's starting to build the australian side so now we've got 11 australian accountants which i'm quite excited about because there's some really cool interesting accountants we even have a, a two guests of honor a canadian one rachel and one in singapore as well so trying to also bring up that international diversity into the group as well excellent and um, I suppose, you know, you, you sort of said, obviously, that you're, you're trying to attract accountants to, to join the hub. Uh, two questions on that, hopefully relatively brief. One is, you know, how do you go about 
identifying those accountants that that are appropriate to join the hub and and two what's in it for the accountants that do join the hub in terms of what they get out of the you know being part of this yeah well the, the latter part maybe you can actually answer better than me uh, since you're an accountant involved i think early on it wasn't very clear and i think people were kind of like raising their eyebrows so you're going to get early stage startups that are sometimes bootstrapped to pay you money which a lot of people think is impossible and you're going to get accountants to give you time for for free and you're going to make money out of it. So a lot of people question that concept, but I think now getting close to a year and a half later, you know, I've kind of like proven that on the startup side, it offers so much value and it's really hard to do this the right way because, you know, there's different ways you can go to market and you can do the research and everything, but you, there's a lot of ways you can get it wrong and you don't even always know it. You can easily create a little echo chamber around you of people telling you what you want to hear, and, you know, not a lot of people like to tell a new founder that's just, you know, left his corporate job and put his house on the line. Actually, not this, this feature is pretty crap. And actually, this basic assumption of what's our pain point or our client's pain point, you're way off. A lot of people don't really like to say that. So that's kind of like part of what I've, I've, I've built that really offers a lot of value for the startups is you can get very, very brutally honest feedback at the time that it can really have an impact. That's really invaluable for a lot of startups. It's not the right fit for a lot of startups. A lot of startups do just like to hear like, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing. You're the next Steve Jobs. Just, you know, don't listen to any haters. And on the accountant side, I think it is becoming a bit more clear now and it's becoming a bit more tangible. So there's one side of it, which I didn't really push for it, but organically, there's a bit of a group of accountants that is formed. It's a bit of a safe space for, you know, a small number of high quality accountants to talk about everything. You know, I don't have any vested interest to promote anyone. You can, you can slam any app in there. You can talk up anyone. Like, I, I really don't care. And, you know, I don't like to use the word community because it's a bit of a cliche and everybody's like trying to create a community. So it's, it's a group, but organically starting to offer more and more value to the accountants that are involved. And, and I think another interesting thing is that the involvement with the startups, because this is really kind of like, you know, cutting away all the fluff, all, all the bullshit, all the marketing and sales, the workshops itself, especially the market research that focus on the pain points and the problems of the accountants and the clients, you really go deep into issues. And especially in the, in, in the previous call that I've done, I realized a lot of accountants in the day-to-day, -day, you don't have time to kind of like stop and talk for an hour about your pain points and hear what other top accountants are saying and what's their process and how they approach it. There's actually a lot of value in just being involved with that. But now, more than a year later on, the tangible benefits are also starting to be a bit more clear. If you're involved with a startup early on, you're helping shaping, shape the product, you chose to be involved, there's no pressure for any accountant to be involved with any startup. It means it's solving a potential big problem for you or your clients. And being involved in shaping that, there's a huge upside and then you get, you know, the lifetime discounts and, and, and benefits like that, which you're not going to get anywhere else. You touched on something just earlier on, um, mentioned, mentioned the word laggards. And when you did sort of that mini rebrand and relaunch of early adopters, I think Carl Reader sort of called you out and sort of said, oh, you know, great idea, Johan, but what about, what about engaging with laggards? Because the, the guys who are always at the front of the queue in terms of, you know, being early adopters and, and really engaged with tech are not really the market that the apps need to get into. So what's your kind of response to that? 
Well, actually, the, the accounting web article I just did uh, gave me a good glimpse of a little bit what the laggards think, which usually I don't, I don't get that insight. So that was quite useful. I think, first of all, you know, it's a fair point like what, what Carl said. I personally take the approach, if you're designing a product in the accounting space and you want to be relevant, not in two, three years, but in five, 10 years, you need to be talking to the innovators in, in shaping your product. It, it doesn't mean that there's no opportunities for apps that target the mass market and the laggards. But I personally, you know, don't, don't want to deal with that. You know, when I was a capitalizer, I had to talk to every accountant as much as possible. I couldn't pick and choose who I want to work with. With the early adapters, I can be a lot more picky and making sure that I'm talking to the people that it's the right fit. And, you know, and, and as far as the value for the accountants being involved in the early adapters hub, a lot of accountants are not going to get value. If they're not passionate about tech, if they don't want to be ahead of the curve and really head shape product, there's no value and, and they'll quickly drop off. So you could design your products with the laggards. A lot of startups do that and they don't even realize it because they, you know, early on beggars can be choosers. So any kind of will talk to them, they'll talk to them. And I've heard that from a lot of startups going through the early adopters hub that are outsiders to the industry. They say afterwards, like, wow, I didn't even realize I'm talking to like old school traditional accountants until I, I, I talked to the innovators of the industry and I realized I'm talking to the right people. And one last thing on that, I think the way I see it, you know, you've got like three options with everything that's happening with tech in the accounting space. You can ignore it and, and bury your head in the sand. I think it's, a, you know, trends come and go, this is going to disappear. Then, you know, you can really leverage the tech to kind of like streamline your compliance work, become more, you know, improve your, your profit margins, get more clients on board if you want, and actually talk to your clients less and do less with them. And then you've got the third option is actually leveraging the tech so you can streamline the compliance work and automate as much as possible. So you can actually focus on talking to your clients more, offering more value, kind of like reinventing a little bit the business model of, of what an accountant can do. And that's the type of accounts that I work with. Now, in the accounting web article, I didn't want to really point any direction that I think is, is you know, in the future is not going to be a good option. But I think for, for the people listening to this, it's a bit safer to say that I think option one, if you zoom out and you look at historically and tech disruption, it, it's not a viable option. It might not be immediate. You know, sometimes things do take longer. I think a lot of people 10 years ago said the cloud is going to change everything. And by now, no, those people are going to be out of business and they're not. They're still here. There's still plenty of businesses and clients. All they want is cheap compliance and they don't want to talk to the accountant more than once a year if they have to. Uh, but in the long term, it's just like you won't be able to compete with those other two types of accountants. That's my personal opinion. There's an element of contradiction, I think, isn't there, in terms of the app partners, you know, they're not just focused solely on producing a product that's there for the early adopters. They want to get to mass market because that's how they scale, how they grow, et cetera. One other question that I have linked to that is do laggards in terms of their practices, in terms of being able to engage and adopt technology, do they have different pain points to maybe some of the accountants that you're talking to? And I, I realize in the context of this, mid-tier firms are slightly different, you know, where, where Ryan and I sit compared to the smaller firms, which tend to be a bit more agile and able to take on tech at, early, at earlier stages. So what, do you, what are your thoughts on that, Johan? They do have different pain points. And I think... That's also, I've heard that from startups, like, you know, when they first come to me and they talk to some accountants and they realize actually, yeah, we are talking to the laggards, you know, they'll see a, a new competitor to like, you know, Receipt Bank, sorry, Dext uh, or HubDoc and, and they're going to tell them like, wow, this solution is amazing. But those people have actually never seen Dext or, or HubDoc or any of the other solutions. So like, oh, wow, this is solving so many pain points for me. 
and you might feel like, oh, okay, I'm building something that accountants just haven't seen before and get their feedback on how to shape the product. But then those loggers are going to retire or be outcompeted at some point. And then you, you get to the other accountants in the market and they're like, okay, well, we've seen this, you know, three, four, five years ago. The accounting money is, is, is a bit unique as an industry when you compare it to other industries. I think if you look at that adoption curve of innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority, laggards, for the most part, you're actually never going to get to the late majority and, and, and the laggards. They're, they're probably going to retire before they decide to change and adopt new tech. So I think in many ways in the accounting space, the mass market is a little bit of an illusion. And I can rely on this argument on some uh, bigger and more important and knowledgeable people like, than me, like Will Farnell, that said for a lot of apps, you know, if you, if you kind of like get to that early majority and you start to get a bit stuck, instead of keeping pushing and trying to get the mass market, you're better off going to a, a different market. You're better to expand from the UK to Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Singapore, South Africa, especially those markets that are quite well, well, well connected. If you're really trying to target the mass market, there's opportunities there in the short term. In the, if that's what you want, if you're not build a startup and try and do an exit in like three, five years, which statistically on average is not very feasible, and maybe James Ashford is a bit of an exception to that. If you're trying to build something more long-term, you're really going to struggle if you're starting to try and, and target the mass market. My other question, and then we'll move on and we'll sort of you'll ch- change the conversation a bit, is, um, is the accountant's channel always the best way to market for apps? And well, the simple answer is no. Uh, it's definitely not always the best route to market. And, and sometimes I tell the startups that I work with, you know, if the conclusion of your program is that you, you shouldn't waste your time building an accounting channel, that, that, that's a, as far as I'm concerned, you got the value that you needed because it's going to be a waste of time. I, I always say quite honestly, accountants is like, kind of like a double-edged sword as a, as a channel. It can really accelerate your growth if you do it right. It can really slow you down if you do it wrong. I mean, you know, basically you need to just, you need to be patient with accountants. Accountants can be slow. Uh, you know, what, what, what's the number one reason why apps are actually trying to tap into accountants? At the end of the day, it's the trust. It's the trust that you have from the clients. And accountants work very hard to gain that trust and maintain it. So if you're a new app coming to the market, you're like, oh, awesome, accountants, we'll just get them on board and they're just going to sell it to all the clients. But, you know, and accountants are not going to risk the trust they've developed so hard with their clients by, you know, just passing you on to them. So it can take time until they feel comfortable. Super. Let's move on then. As you said, you, you know, you're now based in Australia and, and increasingly getting more Australian accountants on board. So what can we learn from Australian firms that's maybe different from the UK market? It's interesting because I get to know more and more about the Australian side in the past year. You know, one thing is there's always that debate about accountants in the UK ahead when it comes to tech or Australian ones. It usually depends where your interests lie, then you'll say who the winner is. I think if you take the average accountant, they're far ahead in, in Australia. They're just zero has been here for longer. You know, they're quite dominant in the market. They've, they've made a lot of changes. People have adjusted those changes. And as a whole, a lot of Australian accountants are a little bit more commercially minded than the UK ones. But when you, type, when you take the top 1% or 0.1%, depending on how you want to count it, of the innovators, I think that's when the UK is ahead in, in, in many ways in Australia. And I've heard that from some Australian themselves, like, you know, like Andrew Vanderbeek, he said, when you get you know, into those sessions and go in depth to some, what accountants are doing in the UK, like, you know, like Alistair Barlow and Dave Selick, it's, it's really impressive. 
So I think that's, that's kind of like an interesting uh, comparison there. And maybe what you could learn from the Australians is because as a whole, they've been on that whole app and tech journey longer, uh, the app fatigue is, is, is a bit more real over there. I think for the most part, a lot of accountants, they kind of like settle on the tech stack and they know what they want. They're, they're a little bit better at just making sure that it all integrates and communicates as, as, as much as they can. And they're, and they're not looking as actively as, as the UK ones for like, you know, the next shiny app to come through. So I think that's an interesting case of the, they're kind of selling a little bit more on the tech start being a bit more happy about it and getting a bit too more complacency and a bit of a fatigue of like every new startup that comes along every couple of days saying they're going to save you money, grow your revenue, save you time, kill Excel or whatever it is. Interesting point on that fatigue. And my, my take on that is that UK firms maybe have a slightly different view than the Aussie firms. And I wonder if it's down to the tech stack or just the longevity of them operating in the, in the cloud market. Or do you think it's down to the fact that for a lot, as you say, for a lot of UK firms, we maybe haven't quite settled on what the best, best approach is for us? Or are we just a bit more adaptable? Part of it is just the UK market is a lot more fragmented. So if, if you take a few different areas, like practice management, for example, a lot of the accountants in Australia have, have gone with XPM coming along with uh, uh, zero and for the so most zero, part- zero practice management. Yes, sorry. Uh, and for the most part, they hate it. And it's created an interesting uh, mini ecosystem of basically, you know, apps that integrate onto XPM, like FYI Docs and AccountKit and a few others that are doing quite a good job. And if you go to the UK with practice management, there's just like so many of them that it makes it look really, really difficult. And for the apps that want to integrate with practice management tools or document management tools, which are a, a bit of a bigger thing in Australia, it's a bit easier. If you want to integrate a practice management tool in, in the UK to offer kind of like some added value from that integration, it, it, it's really, really hard. Maybe it's just also because it's just so much more fragmented and there's not too many at the moment that are getting bought out or, or dying out. There's a few, obviously it comes in your, in your news section, but there's still a lot of option there if you want a practice management tool. That competition that comes through that, do you think that's a good thing or is it better to maybe have the phone space where you just got sort of like Android and Apple like slugging it out? Is it kind of better just to have one or two big players? Well, I, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, the UK at the end of the day is a bigger market than Australia as well. There's three areas I've really noticed from, from the accounts that I work with and especially when I onboard them and ask about their frustrations and gaps, there's like practice management, forecasting and reporting. Those come up as the biggest gaps where nobody's really happy, but for some odd reason, it's also where there's like the most solutions. Like reporting tool, there's like a new one every couple of days, forecasting tools come up all the time. So it's, it's this weird situation where it's like so fragmented, there's so much competition, but still there's a big gap in the market and the kind of are not happy with what's out there. Interesting. When do you think firms should get involved with apps in terms of trying to help them on that development curve? Obviously, Ryan and I, you know, we're part of the early adopters hub, so we're seeing these these apps really early doors. But for the mainstream accountants, you know, they're maybe picking it up once they've gone through that beta testing, got got something in the market. What's the right time to pick it up? What's the right time to test it? And how should they then go about trying to implement that? You need to ask yourself: Do you, do you want to be an early adopter? Do you want to kind of like be ahead of the curve? Or you're happy for others to take a bit of the risk testing other software and you, and you come in after it's a bit more proven and a bit more mature. 
there's definitely risks of being an early adopter. Some apps do fail. You know, you might put a lot of effort into something and helping shape the product and it just fails. Or, you know, I've already had a couple of startups that I've worked with, which I think the founders have moved on a little bit uh, with what they're doing. There's definitely a risk. So you, you don't have to be an early adopter and help shape the product. If, you know, if, if you're happy with your firm, you're making good money, your clients are happy. There's no need to take that risk. But if, if you think you need that competitive advantage, you can get a lot of value from being involved early on. But you should probably focus on the, the apps that really solve a problem for you or your clients. That's the most important thing. Like don't, don't get involved in something that's not really, you know, fundamentally can be transforming to the way that you deliver your service. So, you know, as an accountant, you know, be involved with the apps that really could potentially solve a big problem for you. And it's, it's the upside is worth a bit of the risk. To a degree, I, I think accountants are, are their own worst enemy in terms of picking up new technology and implementing it. So can the apps assist with that process in terms of setting out a, a roadmap to, to make it easier for, for accountants to, to roll out their technology? Yes. I've heard this lately from a few of the top accountants is that they, they need to be better at getting the most out of the software they're already using. Because quite often you're going to get like 20%, 30% out of it. And you're going to move on because you're so busy and sometimes you're still paying for that and sometimes you're even going to get use another tool because you genuinely realize what you're already using can can offer you a solution there so i've, I've heard that from the accountants that they need to be better like you need sometimes to spend time and go through the videos and the training but if i go to the other side of of the apps that it doesn't matter. Like if someone's not using your product properly because they're lazy or they're not proactive enough, it doesn't matter. The end result for you as an app is they're gonna they're gonna churn, or they're not gonna you know add more users or or whatever it is. So I think the apps do need to kind of put a lot more of an emphasis on on the customer success, on support. It's something that's really downplayed by a lot of apps, and kind of like once you pay them, they 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 forget you about you a little bit. I've seen accountants that will stick with an app that they're not the biggest fan with if, you know, the customer success is really good. If someone will kind of like ask them, like, are you getting 100% value out of what we're, out of what we're offering you? If you're not, okay, let me help you get like more value out of it. So they're, they're like, they're on their side. They're not even trying to upsell or, or anything. They're just make, trying to make sure the accountant is getting 100% value out of that app. So it's, it's a bit both ways, but I think at the end of the day, it's mostly up to the apps to make sure that they put some resources into it. Product development and customer success is always something I'm a big fan of. Yeah, and you mentioned accountants should invest a bit more time, but I mean, I don't know any accountant, particularly over the last sort of 18 months, two years, who's had any time to consider apps and implementation. So that, that's a big challenge. Just one other thing on the early adopters hub. So, yeah, I think you sort of very briefly touched on this before, but you have turned down apps in the past and, and you know, what's the reason that either you're turning down apps for the early adopters hub or maybe some other apps aren't feeling that it's the right place for them? The number one reason is that they want to sell. They want to sell to their accountants. They think like, okay, you've got a cool group of accountants that are very visible, you know, win lots of awards, do lots of webinars we definitely want to get them on board. So they, they tell me like, yeah, yeah, no, we want to do research. We want to listen to what they have to say, but you know, what they actually want to do is just, they want to sell to those accountants and they want them to become their champion, whether it's uh, genuine or not, they, they don't really care too much. But once I start getting them through my vetting process and start asking them a lot of hard questions, uh, and obviously I'm trying to kind of like shield the accountants away from the apps that 
you know, don't want to listen and, and they're just trying to blindly sell. It's a problem that you guys experience. It's a startup will see a meaty firm. They'll be like, oh, nice. Thousands of clients are going to start drooling as soon as you pick up the phone or, or return their email. But they don't realize like, okay, well, we've got thousands of clients, but how many are actually relevant? How many are actually the right industry? How many actually have the right process to benefit from this uh, product? How many are on the cloud? There's, there's so much more to it. So sometimes, you know, people, uh, startups think, okay, these people are, you know, super tech and forward thinking, but there's a lot more nuances into it to actually make sure that the, the right fit. So, so yeah, back to your question, usually that's the number one reason why I don't even turn them down. They just kind of like live on their own because they realize it's not going to be an easy way to sell. So I just had this debate with, with my, my new co-founder, Jack, like there's a lot of good, decent apps out there that, you know, I talk to and they don't move forward. And they're kind of like, oh, am I missing an opportunity? And, you know, it would still be valuable to introduce them to their accountants. But at the moment, what's worked well for me is to be quite selective with the startups that I work with and making sure that the ones that get across the line to actually be presented to their accountants are the ones that like are open-minded. They can put their ego aside. They they generally want to build a good product and, and they're passionate about solving a problem and, and, and solving you know, pain points. And you can get quite far as a startup without listening to your users and without having a very good product and you can raise a lot of money, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that in the long term, it's not going to come back and, and, and bite you at some point. Basically, a big mistake a lot of startups do is they haven't really achieved product market fit they, they think they have, or they want to make themselves believe that they have, and they want to make the investors think that they have, but they haven't. So then they start raising money, which is, is not hard. Raising money is so celebrated as like the ultimate sign of successful startup. But what does it really mean? It means you manage to convince a few people that have never worked in a startup to give you other people's money. Like, it, it, honestly, it doesn't really mean much. It means something, but not that much. And there's plenty of famous cases of startups getting to series A, B, C, X, Y, Z, and then exploding in a big uh, cloud of uh, smoke that uh, there was nothing really there. Yeah, so I think it's something to be a bit, a bit careful about. Maybe good to finish on that. Johan, so what else do you think that apps need to consider before going to market? I think there's just a couple of interesting points on what should apps consider when they're starting out? Like they should consider, are they actually solving a problem? Because I think that's one of the biggest problems in this space is that a lot of startups yeah. going to market they're not really solving a problem. They've got a cool idea, a cool opportunity, but it's not really a problem. And I think also something they need to consider is a lot of startups go to market, they try, well, not go to market, like really in the early stages, they try to address as big as market possible when they, when they get started. And that's also, you know, there's pressure sometimes for the investors. They want to see a big addressable market. So they're like, let's try to sell this to as many people as possible instead of building something very, very good for a smaller niche start slow until you got to product market fit take your time like do your research like making sure that you really understand your target audience your ideal early adopter you really understand the problem not just on the surface but like really what's deep behind that problem once you feel like you've got a good understanding of that and you've achieved product market fit then yeah then, then go fast then throw all the money that you've raised from other people and put it into marketing and sales and you're going to do well. But I think a lot of startups make a mistake when they think they have to go as fast as possible from day one uh, and just sell, sell, sell. 
that was excellent, Johan, and thank you very much for your insights. It was really interesting to hear a bit more about early adopters, the challenges that, that the apps and, and accountants are facing, and also some of the differences between different markets. So thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. And that brings us to the end of another podcast. So firstly, thank you, Johan, for um, a very insightful interview with, uh, with John. Um, just for our, our listeners, if anyone wants to get in contact with you or learn more about the Early Adopters Hub, how do they go about that? If they want to get in touch regarding the Early Adopters Hub, then uh, feel free to go to the website and have a bit of a look to see what the value is for startups uh, and the pricing and what's the value for accountants. And if you want to reach out to me just on LinkedIn, uh, I'm always happy to connect on LinkedIn as, as, as long as you don't tell me I would like to join your professional network. Other than that, feel free to message me and I'll ha- be happy to chat. That sounds good. I should probably add that disclaimer as well. Uh, and, uh, and John, uh, how do people get a hold of you, mate? Um, so pretty much the same as Johan. You know, easiest way to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. Um, and um, yeah, send me a nice message and I'll, I'm more likely to accept them. And, and don't be a recruiter because I'm not interested. And, and yourself, Indy. If you are one of the kind people that listens to the po- podcast, like Johan Gorey, who left a really nice message on LinkedIn this week, informing all of the other accountants in the industry about how good the podcast is and posted on LinkedIn and left us a nice review, then I will most certainly be in touch with you. So that's probably the easiest way. Thanks, Indy. I think that's a very good point. Um, we're starting to get some really good good feedback. We've got five out of five stars on on, uh, on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser, and we are getting some reviews. So we've had a review from the London Entrepreneur, and then from, um, which I assume is Joan Gorey, we've got brilliant to have a UK version of the brilliant cloud accounting podcast, which is based over in the US, which he loves. Very conversational and informative, and you regular listen. So yeah, if you love this podcast, please share it with um any, anyone else in your space, please uh, follow us on LinkedIn, which is Digitals in a Cruel World, um, or on Twitter, which is DTI a Cruel World, so at DTI a Cruel World. Um, and if you are an app, please uh, reach out to us if you are interested in featuring um, either as a, a guest or sponsoring um, a future podcast. Um, we'll be presenting some information on that in the near future. If you want to get hold of me, um, best thing is LinkedIn, um, Ryan Piercy or on Twitter, Ryan N. Piercy. Otherwise, I look forward to uh, hopefully speaking to you soon and releasing our, our next podcast in the near future. Thanks all.